Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. The losing streak continues, unfortunately. It's the Astros 4, the Cleveland Indians 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And it is a sweep by the Houston Astros. And I believe, according to Hamilton, this is the first time the Astros have ever swept the Indians in franchise history, even in a two-game series. It takes the uh, losing streak up to six games, and uh, we are dangerously close now to the 500 mark. We are three games over 500 at 42 and 39. Six games back to the White Sox, who have also lost two, so they're doing us, us some favors, at least, in the Central Division, but... It's another rough loss. This one at least felt like a game. This one at least felt like a competitive, strong game between the two teams. Back and forth. Good pitching all around. Good defense all around. And the Astros come out on top in extra innings. Yesterday did, I mean, yesterday was, two days ago was rough. But this one at least felt more competitive. It felt like we were in this one battling the entire time, and we just couldn't come up with it. It helps that the last two starting pitchers, Eli Morgan and Cal Quantrill, actually gave us some, not quality starts, because for quality starts, you got to go six innings, three runs or less. So in baseball, there is a quality start, but uh, fair, competent starts. So... Let's get into the storylines on this one. Hey, before I do, again, it's still the holiday weekend. You still got some time. You're not at work today. Jump over to Apple Podcasts. Give the show a rating and a review. Help out an indie podcaster here. Get the show popping on Apple Podcasts. Even if you're, you know, even if you're not a listener on there, it takes a second. If you have an iPhone, if you listen on Apple, just pop on there, pull up the show. Give it a five-star rating. I'd really appreciate it helping the show grow. And thank you for listening all holiday weekend, especially in the midst of a losing streak. It's easy to listen when we win. Uh, I can't tell, really. I can't tell if uh, you know the old Howard Stern model, if they listen because they're angry. Um, I can't tell if you folks out there listen at more at a loss than you do at a win or more at a win than you do at a loss. But it's been a rough weekend for Indians baseball either way. So... The support, I really appreciate it. All right, before we get totally into the storylines of this game, we do have some off-field news, which is they announced the reserves for the All-Star game, and I think it's still important to baseball fans to see their players represented on the All-Star team, and we got two. We have two players in the game. Shane Bieber actually makes it on the pitching side, and Jose Ramirez will be our representative on the offensive side of things for the American League. And Ramirez is not having, he's probably not in the MVP discussion right now, but he is still like top 20 in the league in a lot of categories. Jose Ramirez, when we are over on fan graphs right now, and he is 16th in war at 2.8. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leads the way at 4.8 war. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is then at 4.3, Correa at 3.9, Otani at 3.7. So uh, Jose Ramirez comes in at 16th at 2.8. 
which is pretty good, which is pretty respectable. And uh, war, again, wins above replacement. It's a great measure of the value you're bringing to the table for your team. Um, I can tell you uh, that uh, Francisco Lindor is nowhere to be found in these uh, top 30. In fact, is Francisco Lindor even in the top 50 when it comes to war? No, he's not even in the top 50. So yeah, so uh, Jose Ramirez is definitely delivering for the Indians when it comes to that. WRC Plus is a category we've seen him being pretty high in before. And unfortunately, he drops out of the top 30 in this one. He's at 33. He's still well above 100. Remember, WRC Plus, this is one of those stats where league average is set to 100. And uh, I believe he comes in at 33rd here with a 131. WRC 132 WRC plus sorry right above Giancarlo Stanton for the Yankees leading the way in this again it's uh Vlad Guerrero Jr. 194 Fernando Tatis and Shohei Otani uh if that is not your leading candidates for MVPs I don't know what is isolated power this is your slugging percentage with your batting average subtracting out of it so a really good measure of your extra base hits, how much power you're delivering. Shohei Otani is destroying the field in isolated power, 426. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is second at 391, and then Vlad Guerrero Jr. at 336. Acuna is fourth, Schwerber fifth. I mean, you can guess some of these names. And Jose Ramirez is 10th at 272. So he is bringing some power uh, right now. And then if we just look at raw home run numbers... Um, Jose Ramirez comes in at 18th, and he's actually tied for 16th with Muncie and Altuve and Nelson Cruz and Escobar and Javi Baez and Mitch Hanniger and Reese Hoskins with 18 home runs. So technically, they have him 18th here, but he's in the top 20 when it comes to home runs, where Shohei Otani is setting the pace with 31 home runs. Vlad Guerrero Jr. right behind at 27, Fernando Tatis Jr. at 26, Schwarber at 25, Acuna at 23, Simeon, Marcus Simeon at 21. So lots of power to go around. But Jose Ramirez is holding his own when it comes to home runs this season. So yeah, he's absolutely deserving of being on the All-Star team. He is one of the best players right now, especially if you split the league in half. I'm looking at the whole numbers. I'm not just looking at American League. Um, So yeah, so that's why he deserves to be there. And then Shane Bieber, again, he's been out for a long time. Uh, I honest to God, when's the last time he pitched? Was it May? And uh, Shane Bieber is still hanging in there in some of these offensive categories. Uh, in fact, it's been fun. He uh, he joked how he's not only been the defending All Star Game MVP, but he's been that for two seasons because they didn't play in 2020. So that means he's the only player to be the MVP, the reigning All Star Game MVP for two seasons. Um, so yeah, so he has not pitched since June 13th was his last start. But he's still up there in a lot of statistical categories. Um, if you just look at pitcher's war, um, DeGrom is leading the way at 4.8. Zach Wheeler from Philadelphia is at 4.2. They are definitely outpacing the rest of the field. But Shane Bieber still comes in at 16th at 2.3 war. So he's still up there, again, in the top 20 starting pitchers. I believe most of these are start. Yeah, these are all starters here. Amongst up there in the top 20 starters, top 16 starters 
in the American League. Uh, when it comes to wins, surprisingly, Aaron Savali, he didn't get called for the All-Star game, but uh, he is up there still tied for the league lead in wins with 10, with uh, Julio Urias from the Dodgers and Kyle Hendricks from the Cubs. They're all tied at 10 wins. When it comes to strikeouts per nine, Shane Bieber, unfortunately, has not been able to compete against DeGrom, who's up to 14.4 strikeouts per nine. Rodon is at 13.12. And then Bieber is third still in baseball at 12.9. Tyler Glass now was also up there, but I believe he is out for the year. So two pitchers up there who are both out for the year. So Bieber still has some impressive numbers, and he gets the nod for the All-Star game, even though they know he's not going to play. He is still, I don't, I haven't heard if he's even throwing yet. So two All-Stars there for the Indians. Big news, obviously, on uh, on this holiday weekend to hear that two of our guys are going to be represented at the All-Star game. I thought maybe some of our relief pitchers might make it. It's hard for relief pitchers to make it. Uh, you really have to... Um, they really use that as an opportunity to fill in um, some other spots where teams need a representative. Emmanuel Classe comes in at 11th when it comes to just war at 1.2. Uh, war, Josh Hader is the leading uh, reliever at 1.9 war. And uh, where does Karen check fall on this list? He's 21st at 0.8 war. It's very hard for relievers to accumulate war. It also is hard... Because Karinchek and Klasse are splitting saves here. Maybe if they uh, if they one of them was the closer and getting all the saves, they'd probably be up around 20 saves right now and maybe could have snuck into this all-star game. But it's just not going to happen with them splitting saves like this. Karinchek is fourth in strikeouts per nine, and it is tight. Uh, Kimbrell has 15.55 strikeouts per nine. Rex Brothers from the Cubs has 15.38 strikeouts per nine. Chapman is at 15.38 strikeouts per nine. And Karinchek is at 15.36. So just behind those guys by a few decimals when it comes to strikeouts per nine. And we know Classe isn't uh, a huge strikeout pitcher, so he's not going to rank very highly on that. He does rank highly on ground ball percentage, though. Aaron Bummer from the White Sox is that leader at 74% ground ball percentage. Classe is right behind him at 71.9. That is Classe's thing. Ground balls and does not give up home runs. In fact, zero. he's leading the league in home runs per nine because he has not given up any. So obviously there's a few pitchers here. Uh, Josh Hader has not given up a home run. Edwin Diaz from the Mets has not given up a home run. Classe Adovino from Boston. There's actually quite a few. There's 11 of them that haven't given up home runs yet on the season. So I thought both those guys maybe were deserving of a look at the all-star team. But again, it's really hard for a reliever to get in. All right, let's get into those storylines. Let's talk about this game yesterday. We don't get to talk about it often, but defense played a major role in this game. There were some pivotal moments here uh, where defense played a factor. Uh, So just shout out to some good defense overall from the Indians. Harold Ramirez in the first inning. He drifts all the way back to the warning track, to the wall, to snag a fly ball from Miles Straw. Um, What's 
What's ironic is then Yuli Gurriel hits a fly ball the exact same distance, and it was an easy out. Uh, I mean, both of them did not have high expected batting averages, but it was a good job from Harold Ramirez of just drifting and drifting and keeping your eye on it and keeping your eye on it and coming up with a catch. Uh, it very easily, if he if he has to turn his shoulders and turn his hips and run, that easily ends up maybe a double uh, at the base of the wall. But he's able to stay with it. Then in the third inning, the third inning, the Indians were really sharp. Uh, it starts with two strikeouts from Cal Quantrill, and then Ernie, um, Ernie Clement makes an incredible diving stop on a Jose Altuve ball that bounces over the third base bag. Clement lays out, and the beauty of this play is that his pop-up and his throw all come in one motion, and there is no way of getting Jose Altuve without doing this. So if he pops up, then hops and throws, then steps into his throw, he's not going to get him. But as he's popping up, that arm is already windmilling around. That arm is already coming around to deliver that throw. So basically, by the time he hits his feet, that arm is snapping over a throw. That's what makes that play so incredible. So not only the diving stop behind the bag, but the throw to go with it to get the speedy runner Altuve at first base. And a great stretch by Bobby Bradley, of course, on the receiving end. Receiving a ball at first base would become a pivotal point in this game. So uh, let's go to the strikeouts, too, from Quantrill in that inning. Let's go over the matchups here because I like the pitch sequencing he does here uh, to get these strikeouts. He starts off with Taylor Jones here and misses with a sinker high to start the at-bat, but then drops a slider in at the top of the zone for a called strike. The slider would actually be a pretty effective pitch for him. Then he paints the edge with a curveball, the outside edge. This is a right-handed batter. Paints the outside edge with a curveball. So two called strikes on breaking balls. Tries to go back to the slider, but throws it pretty wide, sweeping across for ball two. So 2-2 two, two count. Tries to go down with a sinker, which is a good location for a sinker. You want sinkers down. That's how you get the ground balls. And he lays off it, then comes back and freezes them with a sinker on the outside edge. The beauty of this is that he had pounded him inside with the sinker, shown the sinker inside twice, had pounded, went away with breaking balls. I wouldn't say pounded the outside edge with breaking balls, but went away with breaking balls, right? Nailed the edge with the curve, went him to chase the slider. So he throws this one up, the last pitch. It's a sinker on the outside edge, and it freezes him. I'm guessing Taylor Jones thought slider, thought this thing was going to spin out of the strike zone, and it doesn't move. Uh, it moves a little bit. I mean, he's got that. Uh, he's got a good break on the sinker, but it doesn't move like the slider moves or the curveball moves, and uh, gets him to freeze on the outside edge looking. So that's good pitch sequencing right there from Quantrill and from obviously Roberto Perez behind the plate. And then he just attacks Robert Garcia. Uh, Forcing fastball on the outside gets him to foul it off. Comes high with another forcing fastball. So obviously, getting the ball up on Garcia is part of the scouting report here because every pitch is above the belt. Drops a curveball on the outside edge, so slows things down. Gets a swinging strike on that one. And then comes hard with the sinker on the inside edge. Again, paints the inside edge for another called strike with the sinker. So again, he just saw the curveball. Maybe he's thinking this is the slider. This thing's going to break in on me or something like that. 
but he locks them up. I mean, the sinker comes in really hot, 95 miles per hour. Actually throws it harder than the forcing fastball by half a mile per hour in this at-bat. So I don't know what, Garcia, I don't know how that could look like a slider, but whatever it is, they laid off two sinkers for called strikes in this inning. So that is a really good sign if he is painting with that sinker. So that would be the awesome defense and the uh, basically the great inning in the third inning. Things start to get a little dicey after that. We do start giving up some runs. We'll get into some of the offensive plays, but shout-outs to some other good defensive plays. Uh, Bobby Bradley in the eighth inning makes a lunging stop and uh, diving to his right and then has to throw around the base runner to shortstop to Ahmed Rosario covering second. They're only able to get one, but they do a good job of getting that one because where the dive and where, you know, holding the runner at first, where he has to dive for the ball, it puts him perfectly in line with the rear end of the base runner, to be frank. And the only way it is to throw around him. And uh, Ahmed Rosario does a good job of playing it like a first baseman and getting the out there. Uh, In the ninth inning, um, Ahmed Rosario makes a good defensive play, having to throw across his body. Uh, coming in, charging to his right to snag one, and then throwing across his body. I believe that was also Altuve running. So again, Altuve gets gunned out twice by the infielders on the left side. That was just a solid shortstop play from Ahmed Rosario. Then in the 10th inning, the defense fails us. All right, the 10th inning gets a little complicated, so staying with me on this one. So Miles Straw is starting at second base as that runner uh, for making the last out in the ninth inning. Guriel strikes out swinging, but it's a slider in the dirt, and it gets by Roberto Perez. You do not see that happen often. It's credited as a wild pitch to Emmanuel Classe. I'm guessing it's exactly what Emmanuel Classe wanted to do. I don't know how much of a wild pitch I'd consider that. Um, So the runner is able to advance to third, and Guriel is safe at first. Now you got runners on the corner. Carlos Correa Hits one to Ernie Clement at third base. They get Miles Straw in a rundown. He comes home with it. Roberto Perez goes back to Ernie Clement. They get Miles Straw out at third. Guriel is now at second, and Carlos Correa is now at first base. Here's where the defense comes in. And this is this is the storyline of the game right here. It's one bad play. Castro grounds into a force out, hits to Bobby Bradley, fires to Ahmed Rosario at short, uh, at, at second base. Ahmed Rosario Makes a strong exchange and a strong return to first base. Classe is covering. It's a low throw. I got to feel if Bobby Bradley is there, he comes up with it. Classe just closes his glove a little early. Just can't receive the throw. He's there. He's in position. It would have been a double play. It might not have even been a double play. I believe the runner, Castro, would have been safe anyways. But by catching it, by dropping it, by not catching it, he allows um, the ball to scoop past him, and Yuli Gariel is able to come around from third and hustle around. The ball doesn't get that far away, but he just you know he doesn't hesitate. And when he decides to go, he goes and scores from third base. Honest to God, it's a play you would see in old man softball on Sunday mornings. You don't expect to see a play like this in the major leagues, but Classe being a closer does not. Probably get a lot of opportunities to practice covering first base and just just can't catch it, just can't come up with it. And uh, Guriel does what it takes to score, which is not hesitate. 
If you want to score on an error like that, if you want to score on a ball that scoots away, the key to it is you cannot hesitate. Once you break, you're gone. You're either safe or you're out, but you are going for home. Uh, So they do the dirty work to score in the 10th inning. All right, now let's get into a little bit of how the Indians scored because uh, the Indians did score in some fun ways in this game. In the... uh, in the fifth inning, they they answer back after uh, the Houston Astros had taken the lead in the fourth. They don't respond right away in the bottom of the fourth. They respond in the bottom of the fifth. And it's finally a manufactured run. It's finally a little rally that comes around to work. And it starts with a Bobby Bradley walk. Now, how many times have we wasted walks so far this season? Harold Ramirez would single and uh, put runners on first and second. And Roberto Perez would come up and lay down a sack bunt. This is key because this would come around again in the 10th inning. And if you watch the game, obviously you know what I'm talking about here. But the fact that he's able to get down a sack bunt here and move the runners up would be pivotal later in this game. Bobby uh, Bradley Zimmer up next. And I told you that Bradley Zimmer right now is not hitting for high average, but is doing the little things. And again, a runner on third, less than two outs. So many ways for that runner to score, and we finally deliver a run by grounding out to the, I believe Granke is the one that finally comes up with this ball, but it's a weak hit ground ball down the first baseline. Granke scoops and tags Bradley Zimmer right in front of the bag, but it allows Bobby Bradley to come in and score. That ball is in no man's land there. Uh, Granke gets the out at first, but there's no way they would ever get Bobby Bradley coming home to score, so the Indians manufacture a run, a walk. A single, a sack bunt, and a ground out. That is called manufacturing a run. Then we get into a little bit of power in the sixth inning with two outs. Eddie Rosario comes up. And what did I tell you yesterday? I called it yesterday. I told you. Remember he had like a 45-degree launch angle. The ball went like 346 feet, I believe. I told you if he just got that launch angle down just a little bit, if that ball would have drifted just five more feet, six more feet, it probably would have been a home run. That was on Saturday's game, right? He, that one he hit hard, too. That one he hit, I think, over 100 mile per hour exit velocity. This one, he only hits a 90.7 mile per hour exit velocity. It only has an expected batting average of 0.40. But he hit it at a 36-degree launch angle, and the ball drifts 352 feet just enough to squeak over that wall and be a home run in uh, in right field at Progressive Field. I didn't realize right field was so short at Progressive Field, but that is the one spot where that ball goes out for a home run. So I told you, I called it, if he just brought that launch angle down, and this was not a great swing. This was a protect swing. This was this was when they say let the bat do the work. This was letting the bat and the the speed of the pitch do the work. Um, actually, you know, it wasn't even that fast of a pitch. It was only 68.6. It was this big looping curveball. Uh, Granky's classic looping curve. So it wasn't even the speed of the pitch. It was literally the bat doing the work here. And uh, Eddie Rosario gets a home run out of it. Then uh, in the eighth inning, Cesar Hernandez comes up. This one was a no. Somehow this only had an expected batting average of 240. This felt like a no doubt about it. I guess he hit this one pretty high. It was 104.2 mile per hour exit velocity, 42 degree launch angle, 379 out to right field. 
I don't understand how this has an expected batting average of 240 because I think we all knew it was gone off the crack of the bat, right? He just cracked that one, and he is doing that all season. It is incredible what Cesar Hernandez is doing right now. I, I mean, I know his expected, I know his actual betting average is a little bit low, right? 220. His OPS is up to 708 because he's slugging 408. And uh, he's, he's in the red. He's above average in a lot of his percentile rankings, and especially max exit velocity, where he's up to 73rd percentile. His expected batting average and expected slugging is in the 58-57 range. Uh, Barrels is in 57. But if you look at his career, Cesar Hernandez is doing something different this season that he never done before, which is hit for this kind of power. Uh, He had never in his career ever hit for this many barrels and for this much power. His barrel percentage in his career, his max, was 2018. 2018, when he had, let's look how many home runs he had in 2018, 15 home runs. His career high in home runs was 15. 2018, his barrel percentage that year was 4.4. This year, he's up to a 9.4 barrel percentage. He already has 22 barrels, the most in his career. He had 20 barrels in 2018. He's at 14 home runs. He is on pace, what? probably put up 25 to 30 home runs this season, right? Somewhere in that range, 25 to, you know, 26, 27, 28 home runs this season. And he's already got more barrels than he's ever had in a season in his career. And, uh, I mean, in half the plate appearances, almost less than half the plate appearances. So yeah, his max exit velocity is the highest of his career. His average exit velocity is the highest of his career. Uh, yeah, he is doing things that he has never uh, done before as a hitter, to be to be honest. Um, going down to his ISO, his isolated power. Uh, ISO is basically uh, your slugging percentage minus your batting average. So what they're doing is they're taking your slugging percentage and they're taking out all the singles. So it's just extra base hits. And his isolated power is up to 188, by far the highest in the in his career. In 2018, when he hit his career-high home runs, his ISO was only 109. Uh, the highest his ISO has ever been in his career was 129. It was 124 last season in the shortened season. It's up to 188 right now. So Cesar Hernandez is doing things that he has never, ever done before uh, when it comes to some of these powered numbers. So that's, that's pretty cool to see, right? That is pretty good to see that he is up there ranking so high in some of these percentile rankings. In fact, in barrels, in just total barrels, not in barrel percentage, but just in total barrels, he's up to the 74th percentile. In his career, he had never been over the 32nd percentile. And now he's up to 74 when it comes to barrels. So Cesar Hernandez is having himself a decent power year. And uh, his OPS is reflecting what he is contributing more than his batting average is. All right, so he gets a home run there in the eighth. And then in the 10th inning, unfortunately, I said it's going to come back around again. Uh, Who is the runner? Harold Ramirez is the runner that starts at second. And Roberto Perez, now we're down a run. 
So the theory here is let's just get that run back and go to the 11th. So Roberto Perez, he has already laid down a sack bunt in this game. Let's see if he could do it again. Nope. Instead, he pops it up to the pitcher. Launch angle on his bunt of 32 degrees. That's not good. Uh, Pops it up to the pitcher, and Harold Ramirez gets caught dancing off second base. He doesn't react fast enough. It's as simple as that. I mean, he's trying to get to third. It's a bunt right back to the pitcher, which would have been hard to get to third anyways on. So he takes a few steps off a second base, and that would doom him. Because the pitcher would turn around, fire the ball to second base, and double him up. Brooks Rayleigh was in to pitch the 10th inning there. Double him up at second base, and that's that's the ball game. If you lose that runner at second base, that is the ball game. Oscar Mercado would eventually strike out to officially end it. But right there, Roberto Perez not getting that sack bunt down. That is the ball game. So a play that works to manufacture a run in the fifth inning comes back and dooms us in 10 innings. So that is your storyline when it comes to the game, to the offensive side of the ball. Um, we'll get into pitching in a second here. Uh, that you know, there were some people delivering the top of the lineup. We only had five hits on the day, and a lot of it came from the top of the lineup, right? Hernandez had one, Ahmed Rosario had one, Eddie Rosario had one. Vermeil Reyes has a rough day, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Bobby Bradley, 0 for 3, but does give a walk. And Harold Ramirez had two hits on the day. Uh, but didn't have anything to show for it because nobody behind him hit. Roberto Perez 0 for 3, Bradley Zimmer 0 for 3, and then you had Mercado Pinch hitting, and then Ernie Clement was 0 for 3. So uh, Bradley Zimmer does get the RBI on the uh, fielder's choice, well, on the ground out, but um, the bottom of the lineup, again, cannot deliver anything. Uh, and, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Only five hits on the day. Granky was absolutely locked in. Seven and two-thirds from Granky. Five hits, three earned runs, the two home runs, eight strikeouts, one walk. So the home runs and the walk would turn out to be the rough stuff for Granky. Then eight strikeouts, though, to match it. He was only hard hit four times. Meanwhile, on the other side, Cal Quantrill goes five and a third, six hits, three earned runs, Two walks, three strikeouts, does give up the home run, 94 pitches. So he hung in there for a long time on short rest. But he gives up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine hard hit balls. Compared to Granky, he only gave up four. Going over to the player breakdown here, Granky was dealing with this fastball, to be honest with you. A fastball that averages 88.7. He got 10 called strikes on it. Four whiffs on only 17 swings, but 10 called strikes, good for a 39% CSW. His changeup was effective, uh, 33% CSW on that. And then the curveball, the classic Granky curveball, threw it 15 times, eight swings, five whiffs on that curveball, three called strikes on it. We fouled it off twice, only hit one curveball in play. And that's good for a 53% CSW on his curveball. Overall in the day, it's 35%. To get those eight strikeouts. Meanwhile, on the other side, Quantrill was not getting the swings and miss. Only seven whiffs on 38 swings. That's good for an 18%. Um, he was getting some called strikes, especially on the slider. They're dropping the slider in for some called strikes, although the slider, when it was hit, was hit hard. 
but he had a 41% CSW on his slider. And then the curveball, which he does not throw a ton, threw it nine times. That's new for him, mixing that in. And uh, he got four called strikes on that. Good for a 56% CSW. Over on the day, all on the day, though, it's only a 26% CSW for Quantrill. So not, not missing a lot of bats. Uh, they put 19 balls in play against him. So not missing a ton of bats. Not really racking up the strikeouts for Quantrill. I mean, it's only three strikeouts on the day. And we talked about two of them in detail. So those two looked really good, but he could not deliver. By the way, over here, they also tell us the pitcher spin rate. And take a guess, Granky's spin rate on every pitch is down over 100 RPMs on every single pitch he throws. So Granky got eight strikeouts without using the sticky stuff that Houston is definitely known for their pitchers abusing the sticky stuff. So, uh, yeah, that is your pitching matchup there between Granky and Quantrill. I think Quantrill did a decent job throwing strikes. He was up near 60% throwing strikes. Granky was at 68 of his 100 pitches were for strikes. So, it's a big difference. We got to instill in our starters that you have to throw strikes. But it at least was a good bounce-back start for Quantrill, who in his last two starts against Minnesota and Detroit, it had been pretty rough. Minnesota, he only goes four and a third, gives up six runs. Against uh, Detroit, he goes three and a third, gives up four runs on eight hits. This one, he at least goes five and a third. I believe it's the longest start he's had of of this season. It's the deepest he's gone into a game this season. Six hits, three runs is not a terrible day. He kept us in the game. Like I said, it wasn't a quality start, but it was a competent start. So, we get swept by the Astros. It hurts. It sucks. I want to win a freaking baseball game here. And now we got to go down to Tampa Bay, who uh, is one of the best teams in baseball this season. Um, They are leading the wild card race right now. Just a little bit, one percentage point over Oakland. So, basically tied with Oakland here in the wild card, which we are slipping dangerously behind. So... It's one of the top four teams in the American League. And after just facing Houston, one of the top two teams in the American League, it is not going to get any easier. The pitching matchups coming up, we've got Logan Allen is getting the start. He's on this roster, and they're going to use him. Uh, Quantrill got used on short rest, but the other guys cannot go on short rest. I think they all threw too many pitches probably to try short rest. He's going up against the veteran Rich Hill. And then Mejia is going on Tuesday. He is going up against Waka, and who's not having a great season himself, one and two with a 5.26 ERA. And then on Wednesday, it's going to be Henches again. He's they're going to keep throwing him out there. He's going to have to learn at the majors how to throw strikes. Tampa has not announced their starter for that game. So two seven o'clock games, and then we get some day baseball on Wednesday. So. Before we get out of here, we got to call MVP for the day. And, oh, man, is it rough. Uh, who the heck should get MVP for the day here? Eddie Rosario Cesar Hernandez both have solo home runs. Harold Ramirez's two hits don't lead to anything. Uh, boy, this is a tough one. I guess Cal Quantrill? Sure. For his competent start. Like I said, it wasn't a... It wasn't a quality start, but at least was a confidence start. So Cal Quantrill, 
you get MVP for the day. Oof, this is a rough one. All right, again, the final from Progressive Field. It's the Astros 4, the Indians 3. We'll be back tomorrow and all week to talk that Tampa Bay series. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash ClevelandBaseballMornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.